The, the whole project of colonialism has been a project of erasure. Like to go in and to erase a, an identity in order to control it, to exploit it, um, to manage it, to extract from it. You're listening to Stories of the Vietnamese Boat People. Hi, I'm Tracy Nguyen Meng, and welcome back. Back in June, we hosted a film screening of Mother, Métis, and Memory, co-sponsored by the Asian Pacific American Institute at New York University. It is a powerful documentary produced by artist Thung Andrew Nguyen, who was born in Saigon and fled to the United States in 1981 with his family. Thung grew up in Oklahoma, Texas, and California before returning to Vietnam as an artist. Throughout the First Indochina War between 1945 and 1954, France had mobilized 60,000 Senegalese soldiers a colonial infantry in the French army and among the forces deployed to Indochina to combat the Vietnamese uprising against the French rule. At the end of the French empire, hundreds of Vietnamese women and their children migrated to West Africa with their Senegalese husbands, some voluntarily, but others against their will. Some soldiers left their wives and took only their children while others took children not of their own and raised them in Senegal without any connection to their Vietnamese origins. Mother Métis' memory is part of Thung's collection of work that explores the history and narratives of the Senegalese Vietnamese communities. Métis is a French word for people of mixed race. I had an opportunity to do a live Q&A with Thung after the film screening. Take a listen. I don't know how familiar the audience is with the history of Vietnamese American community and just the Vietnamese diaspora community, but Thuong, myself, and similar to a lot of us in the community, um, our families fled Vietnam following the Vietnam War in a variety of ways, uh, millions through just very dangerous, arduous journeys um, by boat. But when I first saw that this film, I was really taken by it because it was a part of history that I was not familiar with, and I think most people are not. Being Americans, so much of the Vietnamese history that we know as a general audience revolves around the Vietnam War, or in Vietnam, they call it the American War. So I think generally that's what people know when it comes to history of Vietnam. But there's so much more to that. And so when I saw this film, I was captivated by it. But I think my question for you, Thung, is just how did you come across this subject um, and what really inspired you to make the film? You know, I, I'm really fascinated with stories of solidarity. This idea of the solidarity is something that I think we need to look at and we need to consider. And my research in the last few years has been looking at possible solidarities that arose out of tirailleurs, colonial soldiers fighting together. Um, and that's actually what led me to Dakar, to Senegal, and to this community. 
And how did you find the community? Like, tell us kind of just how you came across the community and when you approached them to be able to interview them, what was, what was their reaction? Well, I have a good friend who started an arts organization in Dakar. Um, the organization is called Raw Material Company. Um, and her name is Koyo Koa. She's been to Vietnam a few times. And when I told her that I was going to go to Dakar to do some research about this particular history, she actually has a really good friend who lives right next to Raw Material Company is from this community. And so once you meet one person, the community kind of opens itself up to you. Um, yeah, and things just kind of happened organically. Um, people started to kind of share their stories with me as I did with them, and it became, it, it became a, a, a project. Was it like warm and welcoming right away? <clears throat> oh yeah. Um, the, the Senegalese Vietnamese community was so generous. Um, with their stories and the things that they shared with me, it, it felt, um, it really felt like a lost family. Like I'd returned to, to some <laughs> family that I had lost. Um, like there's a lot of communities I em empathize with and there are a lot of communities I have a strong desire to, to, to call my own or feel like I'm a part of. And I definitely feel like I'm a part of this community. I mean, it's, it's, it's been a, partly because of the time that I've spent there with them, making the film with them, and the project of the new museum with them. But it's also because, you know, anybody who has migrated understands. I think we all have that, that, that sense and that sensibility, and that we can relate to each other. A good friend of mine uh, once said, you walk into the home of a refugee, and you'll never be hungry. And that's, and that's something I've noticed. You know, like you walk into my parents' house, no matter who you are, they'll feed you and they'll make sure you're fed. And that's how I felt here in Senegal. I was fed emotionally, spiritually, with a lot of tebujen, uh, which is a very famous uh, Senegalese dish. How big is the community today? Like, was it a large group? Um, it's hard to tell um, because even Today, there are people in different um, remote areas of Senegal who are from this migration that haven't been connected with. So I worked very closely with an organization called Gim Hoi. Um, it's the Senegalese-Vietnamese organization, and they try to kind of support each other. But even to this day, there's a lot of people that, um, within the community where they would be on a bus and they would recognize someone uh, who looks Matisse. And then they would reach out to them and ask them, you know, are, is your grandmother from Vietnam or is your mom from Vietnam? And it's like an instant connection. Yeah, yeah. but it's happening constantly. Yeah. Um, so no one really knows how big the community is. Um, within Kim Hoi, the organization, there's um, several hundred people. And the community is in their fifth or sixth generation now. It was really beautiful in the film that um, some of your guests that you interviewed had these photos of their mother or even um, being able to have a letter that their mother had written. So I'm just curious, like when you interviewed them, were they like, oh yes, let me pull out this piece I've been holding on to? Or was it sort of like a process that you had to 
navigate and try to dig up what they did have of their mothers. I think one of the most things, the, the most powerful memories that I have from, from my research and, and my working with the community is that everybody wanted someone to hear their story. Everybody wanted to show images and proof of their story. Um, so the photos were, you know, photos and the letters were kind of came out very instantaneously. And it's amazing because if you do go to the new museum, we have photos from the family personal archives um, as part of the exhibition um, up there. And it's amazing photos. I can't wait to check it out. And it's in our program, we interview a lot of people. Sometimes people are hesitant to share at first, but more often than not, after we conduct an interview, I have family members or just individuals saying, how wonderful it was to share something that they haven't been able to share in so long, or the fact that they've bottled up this family history and really haven't spoken about it. It was a little bit like healing for them. And I was curious whether some of your interviewees shared the same feeling with you. Healing is a big part of the process and, and the practice. I'm a firm believer, just to tell someone your story uh, is about remembering but it's also a very powerful and effective form of healing and i also think that to listen to a story is um, a very powerful position that one can be in because i think that's the first steps to a real kind of sense of solidarity you know if you were to stand in solidarity with someone the thing that you should do is to stop and listen to them first and there are so many experiences, right? I, I think that's one thing I try to do here because it's also about dimensionalizing history. But to hear so many points of view, so many different experiences, it's an amalgamation of so many different perspectives and experiences. I felt that there were um, a mixture of stories in these families. You know, that's what I was trying to say earlier. like. Within a community, there are so many different experiences. Um, some were beautiful and extremely romantic, like her grandmother saving her grandfather, um, while others were challenging and difficult. Um, Anne-Marie Nyane, who speaks a little bit <clears throat> in the film, she wrote a book called L'Etranger, which means the foreigner, about her mother's experience um, coming from Vietnam and then dealing with the... And we know Vietnam is a very kind of matriarchal society, right? Um, and then c arriving in Senegal to a culture that's very strong, strongly Islam, Muslim, um, and having to deal with like polygamy and stuff. Um, so there's, there's many, many, many different experiences and perspectives. And it's, and it's important not to kind of, you know, flatten it all out. Yeah, it's very multidimensional. You know, one of the parts where they talked about racism. And yes, racism exists everywhere. Um, so I did also appreciate the perspectives um, that were coming from, you know, what it means to be mixed, having the Senegal family not accept a Vietnamese woman as part of their household. But then in the reverse, in Vietnam, they weren't accepting that there were these mixed 
children in the country. And that even happened after the Vietnam War, right? All the I mean, we're very familiar with the Amerasian yes, cases exactly. after the U.S. War. But, you know, after the French were gone, it was um, quite dangerous to have a child who was mixed um, because they were threatened. They were physically threatened. They were being killed off by the government. So, yeah. so these women had no choice. I mean, yeah. Colonization, the, the whole project of colonialism has been a project of erasure. Like to go in and to erase a, an identity in order to control it, to exploit it, um, to manage it, to extract from it. So it's important, and I, you know, I, we all know this. You know, oral history is extremely important. Um, because it's that history that isn't written, that isn't acknowledged, but that is real, um, that is crucial to our understandings of ourselves and other people that we have to, that we have to maintain. And if it's not written and if it's not archived, then it's, it, it'll exist in stories, in storytelling. You know, I'm sure you know, like hearing stories from your grandparents, hearing stories from your parents, Hearing stories um, of how they landed in America, um, hearing stories of how they were able to leave Vietnam. Those are all, all very, very important um, stories that, for me, um, helped me get a sense of understanding as I was growing up in the U.S. I grew up in Oklahoma and Texas, by the way. I only lived part of my life in California, so that was rough. Um, and then, you know, getting that sense of building that sense of identity through stories through the stories that we hear yeah so tell the audience um when did you come to the united states i arrived in oklahoma when i was three years old i think i think i remember this because i did too and we were about the same age yeah i yeah. think so um so i mean we pretty much were we on the same boat i don't know <laughs> we are now i'm sure <laughs> I'm not trying to do stand up. Um, but you had said growing up in Oklahoma was a whole story in itself. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So tell us about your upbringing here in the States and just like how it's influenced your work over time because now you're mostly in Vietnam, correct? Yeah, I'm, I'm mostly in Vietnam. Um, my studio's in Vietnam. My practice is out of Vietnam. My wife and children are in Vietnam. Um, one of the people that has, has had the biggest influence, one of the biggest influences on me as an artist is actually here today. Her name is Anji Ju, and she's sitting in the corner with her partner, Anji, can I just, can everybody just give a round of applause to Anji? One of the most. No, Anji, I met Anji um, at Cal Arts, and she was a professor there. Anji is now the senior curator at SFMOMA. <laughs> but Anji also did the uh, New Museum Triennial um, in 2012, um, but a very, very kind of influential guide in, in my own kind of artistic upbringing, um, like an older sister. So when, at what point in your life or career did you decide that you wanted to go back to Vietnam and be mostly there? Um, Vietnam started opening its doors for travel, for tourism, um, in the late 90s. I was in college, uh, managed to borrow some money, get myself there. Um, and I, 
kind of grew up hearing stories of my grandmother, who, who never left. She managed to get all her children out, most of her children out of Vietnam after the war. Um, but she was a poet and um, an amazingly eloquent uh, political woman. And I knew that, you know, upon meeting her for the second time in Vietnam, I knew that I wanted to kind of be there to spend time with her and possibly make a documentary about her. Um, so I had set it in my, in my head that after CalArts, I, I would go to Vietnam and spend some time with her. Is she still with us? She passed last year. She was 102 years old. Wow, that's amazing. Yeah, she was, she was amazing. Um, but ironically, she died of COVID of, of all things. Well, the stories she had, I, I don't know if you had the opportunity to capture some of them. I filmed her a lot. I just haven't edited anything. Well, we look forward to seeing that when we do get a chance. Um, I'm also curious, like, when you moved back to Vietnam, um, did it start to change your perspective and your, just the way that you were creating work? Um, yeah. I'm sure it did. Um, everywhere I go, every chance I get to travel and make a project in different places, I, I think every place every community changes the way I think about making work. And I've been, I've been very fortunate to be able to like make work with many different communities um, and, and get a chance to kind of share their stories. My exhibition is on the third floor of the new museum. Uh, the exhibition is called Radiant Remembrance. Um, it'll have projects there as one of the main kind of elements of the exhibition. There's another project I shot just recently with a, um, a woman who lives in Hanoi, Bavi, and uh, she's half Moroccan, half Vietnamese, um, and she comes from that moment in, in, in the French Vietnam War where Moroccan soldiers defected the French army and joined forces with Vietnamese troops. Yeah, and they stayed in Vietnam and Ho Chi Minh supposedly made a big farmstead for, uh, it's called the Viet, Nong Chung Viet Phi, the Viet, African farmstead. It had over 300 um, North African and West African soldiers and their wives and children on this farmstead. And so this woman, Goswang, uh, aka Habiba, um, is from that. So we, we made a film together just recently. And there's another film called The Unburied Sounds of a Troubled Horizon, which explores uh, unexploded ordnance in Vietnam presently. Unexploded ordnance are the bombs that did not explode during wartime, that are exploding in peacetime. More people have died and been maimed during peacetime in Vietnam than the amount of American soldiers who died during active duty. Yeah, I would say like working with the different communities has really shaped my understanding of what it means to be a person present day because migration is such such a big part of what we have to look at what we have to to deal with um, as humanity today and then you know there's so many communities that are kind of ravaged by the climate crises that are having to migrate post-war migrations that are still happening now, so it, it's really about understanding, gaining a deeper understanding of who we are as, as people in contemporary society. It's important that 
we dimensionalize things, especially the experiences of people. And for me, that's very much about specificity, like talking to specific people about specific stories. I think when we flatten things out, like cliches often do, or like racism often does, that's what racism is. It's a flattening out. It's like a um, kind of taking dimension away from from an identity. And that's how things are kind of instrumentalized and even weaponized. And I think what our job is as storytellers, as artists, as filmmakers, as media producers, is to dimensionalize as much as we can. I mean, I, I think part of that too is, um, just to add on to that, is creating opportunities like this where we can bring you know, the work forward that Dong has done and other people have created to, to bring it forward to an audience um, to really just help broaden our perspectives of history and communities. That was actually one of the reasons why we wanted to make this a free event. Um, if some of you have attended our events before, we don't do a lot of free events because it's part of our fundraising efforts is to um, have an admissions fee. But it was important for us to be able to attract a broader audience to, to see this very powerful film that is a rich part of our Vietnamese culture that many people are not aware of. So storytelling is, I think, um, an important and essential step into that. So most of the people who speak Vietnamese are those who grew up in Vietnam, like uh, General Jean Gomis, um, Ellen Doi, um, Madame de Cruz. There's a handful of people. Buba Chinois, he was there until he was eight. Um, but not very many of the subsequent generations um, speak Vietnamese. Um, and I think that's due to the, the very specific context and the, the, the size of the community. But your question is more about just language in, in, in general, I feel. Kim Hoi, yeah. The Golden Union. Yeah. No, there's no language component in Dakar. It's, it's rather interesting. Um, everybody speaks French, um, the colonial language of Vietnam prior and the colonial language of Senegal and many West African countries. You know, from time to time, like General Jean Gomis would sing in Vietnamese to the community, but he would have to be like urged, encouraged quite a bit to like do that. Yeah, and that, that's really only the moments where language actually, I think they've been able to connect beyond language. And I think that's what, one of the remarkable things about Kim Hoi and that, and that organization there. When I first started going back to Vietnam, I was like, I still got like a sore thumb because I was so tall. But, <laughs> but now like the, the kids going to high school, like the teenagers now are taller than I am. So as time has gone on, um, I've been um, able to camouflage myself more and more. <laughs> now in Vietnam, less about how you present yourself um, physically or through fashion or you know through the way that you walk or um, but it's very much about speaking and language and I think for me because I've been there for so long. Well I was gonna say language is an interesting one. Um, thank you for that question because I think for a lot of us that grew up here in the United States that still Viet speak Vietnamese we learn the language through our parents 
And so it's almost like a snapshot in time of what that language is. And so when you go back to Vietnam, that language has evolved in some ways. Yes. And, you know, also because my grandparents were, um, I grew up in the U.S. speaking a very particular northern accent. Very particular. Um, Unique on its own. Yeah. And so when I went to Vietnam, I sounded like a Paris by night. Um, I was, but, you know, I had to shake that. Paris by Night is like a variety show for the Vietnamese community. <laughs> you know, like I said earlier, I think the story of migration is the story of our time. There are migrations that happen because of war, but also because of even things like environmental crises now. Um, political oppression, um, all sorts of things. Like LGBT uh, communities from Vietnam moving. Um, you know, the 20th century was known as a century of of the displaced person, but I, it doesn't seem like the 21st century is letting off. Yeah, it's interesting because, you know, what flag? That's a whole <laughs> different topic yeah. that um, we should explore. No, I don't want to explore another it. event. <laughs> I think um, it may not be as obvious to people outside of the Vietnamese community, but within the Vietnamese community, it is a very contentious topic, or it can be, um, but what she's referring to is the South Vietnam flag, which is the red and yellow stripes, and then the flag that hangs in Vietnam today, which is the one with the star. Um, what I have observed is that I do find that younger generations have embraced the two a little bit better <laughs> than perhaps our generation or our parents' generation, obviously, because they have lived through that conflict. So it is such a, um, an emotional topic that we don't even talk about in the household sometimes because that's how sensitive it is. But it's one that, um, I don't know, it would be interesting to talk about one day. <laughs> He's just going to nod. <laughs> I just want to thank you all for coming today. What a wonderful surprise during mid-install to see so many people. Well, thank you for making time for us on your trip. So thank you everyone for joining us and thank you so much. Dung's first American solo exhibition, Radiant Remembrance, opened from June to September 2023 at the New Museum in New York City. Additionally, he received the 2023 Joan Miro Prize, one of the most prestigious contemporary art accolades in the world. He will be the subject of a solo exhibition in Spain in 2024. To explore more of Dung's work, visit his website at www.dungandrewmuyeng.com. Or if you would like to connect with him directly, follow our Instagram page at Vietnamese Boat People and look for details under episode 53. If you would like to learn more about your family's diaspora story, check out our conversation kit at www.vietnameseboatpeople.org forward slash share. It's a deck of cards with questions in both English and Vietnamese to help you start the conversation. You can also check out our website for more stories and resources on how you can participate and share your story.
I'm Tracy Nguyen Meng, and thank you for listening. If you enjoy the show and want to support our mission, please consider making a tax-deductible donation on our website. Your support helps independent shows like ours continue to amplify stories from our community. And please take a moment to rate us and provide us feedback wherever you listen to the podcast.